that's probably one of the biggest lessons of my career is that sometimes there can be an apprehension around simplifying the complex because the team has spent so much time, energy, and has put in so much technical innovation to solve this problem. Sometimes when we simplify it, it can feel like it's not really speaking to the true power of the technology. But if you put yourself in the shoes of the customer, really, they just want their problem solved. They want to do things quicker, faster, with less effort, or they want to explore new ways of approaching old problems. Really getting to the heart of that and being as simple as possible is really key when marketing to a technical audience. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Market Mentors Podcast. I'm Matt Dodgson, co-founder of Market Recruitment, and we connect B2B tech and SaaS businesses with marketers to help them grow. This week, we're joined by Laura Hauser. Often, we're told that certain marketeers aren't suitable for certain jobs. So it's refreshing to see Laura's career because she's worked across many different disciplines and also worked for startups, scale-ups, and global brands, proving marketing skills are transferable. Currently, she's VP of Marketing at Griffin, We dig into her career, and I hope you enjoy. So, Laura, welcome to the Market Mentors Podcast. Thank you, Matt. I'm very happy to be here. Great stuff. So before we get stuck into this one, I'd love to know what your relationship is with B2B tech marketing. As cheesy as it sounds, I guess I should say that B2B marketing is a passion of mine. I've been in the industry for about 15 years now. I would like to think that I specialize in help bringing B2B products to market and bringing a voice of the customer to really all marketing aspects. Great stuff. So going back, it looks like you were the first marketer recruited by Wibby Data. How much did that experience of being on your own teach you? We could spend an entire hour talking about how much I learned in that experience. It was really my first role in-house, so I had spent quite a lot of time at agencies prior to that. I had done a lot of work in PR and communications, but it was really my first role where I was on the inside working at a small tech startup. It was mostly data scientists, so a very technical both audience as well as company. And it was my first exposure to really how product teams work, engineering teams work, and getting an understanding of how to really take technical products to technical audiences in a way that felt really authentic. Great stuff. And it's unusual, actually, to see people moving from sort of agency side into client side. I think a lot of businesses these days are sort of so focused on having somebody from client side, especially when they sort of go into a crucial role like that, where you are the only marketeer. So it's quite refreshing to see, really. Well, I have to say that my agency background really helped in a broad range of ways. You get exposure to a lot of different clients and a lot of different audiences. You also learn a lot about different industries. So I kind of got to sprinkle in a little bit of B2C tech, different platforms and different audiences. So I really think it helped me. One of the things that I think about when I'm recruiting today is when I see someone with agency experience. I know that they can work to a deadline, that they worked in high-pressure environments, and generally have a well-rounded experience probably doing different types of marketing work for different types of clients. Yeah. And in that role then, did you have to deal with anything yourself? Because obviously going from agency into a sort of technical environment like that, you'd never done it before. So some people sort of worry about that a little bit. Especially at that time in my career, it was probably my first time really coming face-to-face with imposter syndrome. (laughs) For example, one of my first tasks was actually to take over the Hadoop meetup of San Francisco. And for those of you who aren't a data scientist or work in the Hadoop platform, 
It's a very highly technical, basically open source project that allows data scientists to build applications. And first in in trying to, A, understand what the platform did, and then how do you pick content and speakers that are really going to resonate with an audience that you haven't had much exposure to? So between that and trying to simplify, you know, our platform and really work directly with a lot of technical folks that had never worked with marketing before. In all honesty, I spent a lot of time Googling terms that I'd never heard of before and really being probably the dumbest person in the room. And it took a while in that role to start to build confidence that, you know, while they were the subject matter experts, I was the marketing expert. And I actually had a lot to give and provide and really provide value around how do we simplify the messaging and find ways to really resonate with this technical crowd. Great stuff. And I think a big part of B2B marketing is sort of bringing those people around the table from those different areas of the business. So You don't need to be an expert in everything. So it kind of makes sense. From there, then, you obviously moved into ad role. And it looks like you sort of niche down a little bit on content marketing then. Was that a conscious decision? You know, it was. I think at the time when I was looking to, A, gain some experience at a larger company, it was ad tech. And I never really worked with any ad tech provider at the time. And content marketing was very new. You know, it was kind of this very, and still is in some ways, very nebulous term that really anything that required words could be considered content. It was probably the beginning of really bringing white papers, webinars, as kind of long-form lead gen content into the forefront that almost every company is using today. And I thought it really boded well with my experience both in journalism and PR. And it was an amazing team. Any time that you are thinking about making a move in your career, getting to know the team a bit and getting excited about the potential to work with people around you is something that I really take to heart and still drives me to this day. Great stuff. And what was their setup then? Did they tend to have specialist teams or specialist roles across the different sort of facets of marketing there then? They did. You know, one of the things I will say, it was an amazing team. I learned so much from everyone around. You know, you had content, you had digital and advertising. We had a great creative team and product marketing. And I'm probably forgetting a few folks in between, but one of the best things about that role was that we all really worked together. So a direct access to our SEO experts. And we really sort of all worked together to produce great content and great marketing campaigns that we felt we could be proud of. And have you always enjoyed writing then, or was it a content role where you'd kind of come up with a strategy and actually outsource that to a writer then? We did most of it in-house. We definitely had a writer and writing support. So it was kind of a mixture of both. Got to really invest in actually producing some of the campaigns from beginning to end. We also got to work a lot with our partners and our customers. So whether that was doing a webinar with Salesforce to talk about their retargeting strategy or working with a partner to think about what a potential announcement would look like. It was a really great experience in getting to really come together in a collaborative effort on building a strategy and then leading some projects to beginning to end, which can always be very satisfying when something launches and you feel like you've really owned that experience from beginning to end. And I love how you were talking about, you know, you'd first started doing ebooks or when ebooks had first started being done, because there's an argument that that kind of stuff is less effective these days, sort of gating content and getting people to sign up for it because ultimately they know what's coming down the line. In only that short time, things sort of go around in a circle a little bit, don't they? It's interesting because I think with anything or new technique or aspect to marketing that you can oversaturate your audience. And I think that with any discipline, you really do need to adjust. 
product. And one of the things that I really love about marketing is that there really is a piece of it in every aspect of the customer journey. From the ad someone is seeing on Facebook to the interactive quiz they're taking on their website to in-product messaging when they're actually using and finding value from your product. There's so much value to be added in terms of having a sense of what to communicate and when. And I think one of the important things in terms of the evolution of content is really just understanding your user. I think now when we sign up for a webinar, everyone could dread like, oh, I'm going to get a million emails from a salesperson. Mm. But there's a lot of ways to sort of avoid that, putting in nurture campaigns so that people are just getting interesting content based on what they've interacted on your website or any type of communication that you've had in the past. Some are just saying, hey, we're going to ungay all of this and just put it directly on a web page with some interactive visuals. I think every business needs to look at the data that they're getting back, the feedback from clients and adjust accordingly. But I do think content is going to be, you know, an important part of any B2B marketing strategy for a long time. Yeah, definitely right now. And I think obviously the pandemic sort of accelerated that to a certain degree because your sales force isn't out there sort of eyeball to eyeball with customers. We're certainly seeing a huge increase in content marketing roles. Do you think people ought to niche down early on? It's a big sort of question that I get asked a bit is, should I become a specialist or should I remain a generalist marketer? Yeah, it's a great question. I would say that for me personally, going into niche roles at different points of my career has been extremely helpful. It's given me a background and really a learning platform on different aspects of marketing that have helped me really start teams and start marketing functions in you know, both small and even bigger companies. I think that it's really up to the marketer in their career. But the one advice I would say is like, don't be afraid to specialize and don't be afraid to generalize. Mm. Sounds meaningless and like no advice at all. But no matter if you go down a path, There are always opportunities to take that experience and apply it to different roles, especially within marketing. I think that from my experience, it's been a really helpful tool. And for others, I'd say like, just don't get too caught up and I'm going to always have to be a content marketer. I'm always going to have to be a product marketer. There's so much fluidity in terms of the user experience. It's really about applying that and telling the right story, which hopefully we should be good at as marketers. Indeed, indeed. And on that theme, sort of after ad roll, then it looks like you joined what you'd class as a true scale up then Atlassian. And obviously that's the owner of products like Trello for people that don't know, but you joined them in a product marketing role. So what was that like to be part of? I would say that Atlassian is where I found my passion for product marketing. I guess it's a role in marketing in general that is often misunderstood. And it's often slightly different depending on the company, whether it's a very technical product or not, whether they're really heavy on the branding rather than the user experience. But I really fell in love with becoming the voice of the customer, strategic positioning. And it was really my first exposure to working directly with UX and user research. Mm. Kelly Snow, who's an amazing UX designer at Atlassian, actually taught me so much around how do you take data? How do you categorize things and pull out insights that are going to make it better for your customers? And I think at that specific role, I was really one of the first marketers on the ecosystem team. Atlassian had grown so much and really developed this huge, I'd say, cult following in terms of their product and their brand. And getting to take that and actually build an ecosystem out of it was something that was really special. And I still got to really work with the PR team on announcements and teach vendors how to market their apps. 
I got a lot of experience in actually teaching technical vendors how to market their apps on the Elassian Marketplace, which was really great. Yeah, I think sometimes you think that those bigger organizations, those scale-ups, the roles are going to be very siloed. But I can imagine reality, because it's growing so big, you might have a bit of a remit, but actually you get involved in this project, that project, or you need some help there or help there. So the role actually becomes a little bit broader. Yeah, it was also exposure and really kind of a few light bulb moments of realizing that your documentation is a very important part of your product. Mm. And it's also a huge marketing tool. And when I say that, I don't mean start putting pop-up ads on your documentation, but understanding how people are using it is going to give you great access to content and an understanding of where you might want to invest a bit more in terms of how-to guides, what topics and what keywords are really important to your users, and you might want to be using more in sort of your everyday communications, and how to measure it in the different parts of customer journeys. Everything from a blog post all the way through to how do we get someone in the first hour of their experience with the platform to find value quickly. Great stuff. And we speak to a lot of companies that sort of raise that series A, B, C, whatever it might be. And they really then start to scale things up. But from your perspective, when you were there then, what were some of the challenges working for a true scale up? With everything comes growing pains. And I think they actually did a really great job of scaling the culture with the company as well. You know, you see a lot of companies that when they truly hit that hyper growth tend to lose sight of some of their values. And I think they did an excellent job of making sure that every all hands, it was clear what we were trying to build and really rallying everyone around it. From a marketplace perspective or an ecosystem, you just saw a huge demand and you're trying to, in a lean way, provide value and just keep up pace. I think that was my biggest challenge is that there's also so much opportunity, but you also need to be conscious of budget time and really just bandwidth. Yeah. I've heard the phrase ruthlessly prioritizing, especially with those sorts of organizations. You're never short of ideas. You're never short of tactics. You're never short of things to do. But actually, the key is really sort of ruthlessly prioritizing what you need to do to get the output. Moving on from that, then, and I can't quite believe this, but you moved to Adaptivist where you actually took the team from yourself to 45. I mean, how is that even possible for one person to do? It's not. It's (laughs) absolutely impossible for one person to do. I think it was Steve Jobs that said, like, hire great people and get out of their way. You know, it's not like it happened in six months. It happened over about four and a half years. But really the key there was to hire great people and really invest in helping them grow as leaders. When you hire someone on, especially as you're getting bigger and bigger, you're hiring specialists on that have more experience in that area than you do. And you have to make sure to put egos aside and not be threatened by the fact that you're bringing on people that are smarter, better, and have more experience in different areas than you do and really help unblock them when they get stuck and trust them. Mm. You always want to put clear success metrics in place, but also having a culture where people can bring ideas that may sound a bit crazy, but potentially has great payoff. Mm. But I'd say that the biggest impact of being able to scale a team is hiring good people to help you do it. Yeah, makes sense. I remember Dave Gerhardt mentioning something recently about that in his early days at Drift, hiring people who were better paid than him, you know, so they were going back into companies like HubSpot, hiring people that were doing roles that are more junior than him, but they were paid more than him. 
even getting your mind around that kind of stuff is different, really. Once you hit sort of the executive team, you really need to be thinking about not what's best for you and your team, but what's best for the company. Mm. How are you going to scale and get to that next level? And sometimes that's hiring someone that has more experience than you and making sure that you have respect for that and allow them to bring that into the team or the company and hopefully flourish. And how did you sort of evolve that sort of hiring plan then as you sort of going through from yourself to sort of 45? Was it systematic then or was it sort of as different projects came up? Okay, well, now I know that we need to hire this type of person or now I know we need to hire this type of person. How did that sort of work? It's a good question. I would say it's a little bit of both. I had an idea of my head of the different areas or the different teams that I imagine the company would eventually need. But a lot of it is also dictated on the growth rate, you know, of certain products and where there was clearly more need. As the team starts to grow, you realize within teams, there are certain areas that you want to build up on or maybe even scale back. So I'd say that it's a combination of having a bit of an idea and then really leveraging input from your team Mm. and just looking at the market. And, you know, customers will tell you in one way or another whether something is working or not. And being able to say, okay, this is going really well. We want to scale up here and invest over here is important to building out such a large team. And there you are marketing to a technical audience. What was your approach there? Because marketing to that audience is notoriously difficult, isn't it? Yeah, it's funny because I think at the end of the day, You really just need to be clear and concise and really get to the heart of what the product does, especially with technical audiences. Cut the BS. Tell them how you're solving their problem. Mm. Don't make them work for it. Reduce the amount of buzzwords as much as possible. There's always nuances there as well. But at the end of the day, whether the potential customer is technical or not, they want a solution to their problem and they want to get there as quickly as possible. So when you're building out marketing plans or messaging or content, don't be afraid to just say what it does in the simplest terms possible. Mm. Even the smartest people, you don't want to make them work for it. Mm. That's probably one of the biggest lessons of my career is that sometimes there can be an apprehension around simplifying the complex because the team has spent so much time, energy, and has put in so much technical innovation to solve this problem. Sometimes when we simplify it, it can feel like it's not really speaking to the true power of the technology. Mm. But if you put yourself in the shoes of the customer, really, they just want their problem solved. They want to do things quicker, faster, with less effort, or they want to explore new ways of approaching old problems. Really getting to the heart of that and being as simple as possible is really key when marketing to a technical audience. And I think if you look at marketing generally, some of the best advertising from Ogilvy and these sorts of companies, it could be something of five to 10 words. Describing a product, the power of a short number of words is incredible, really. I'm a firm believer that clear and concise will always trump sounding clever. And that's not to say that you can't have clever campaigns, especially when it comes to thought leadership, like building up a lot of content around nuanced principles. But it's finding the right time and the place and the right stage in the user journey to do that. Yeah. And this leads to where you are now, back at a startup, 
in the shape of Griffin. So not only the polar opposite in size, but also a totally new market for you because these guys are a fintech. I mean, what attracted you to the job in the first place? Because some people would look at that and go, do you know what? That's just not me. A little bit of background. So Griffin is a banking as a service provider. So we're building a technology platform that is API driven. And essentially what we're trying to do is bring that Stripe-like developer first experience, but to banking. And we are also going through the process of becoming or applying to be an authorized bank in the UK. So it's a really interesting, I'd say, cross-section of fintech, developer marketing, and banking in general. But I would have to say that, you know, when I was just starting to think about, you know, next step in your career, I have to say I wasn't thinking tiny startup and I wasn't (laughs) thinking fintech. Mm. You know, it really was learning more about the company, meeting our CEO and the team. You know, they really just have created this really strong executive team. They have a really ambitious vision and the technology that they're building is actually quite innovative. And it's a different approach to a lot of the companies in the space. Mm. Now, when they told me that it was a small startup, I was kind of like, well, you know, I've been there. (laughs) Not quite sure I want to do that again. But it really was the excitement of what they were building and the ability to come in from the ground up and have a big impact on, you know, the future of the company. And did that catch you at the start? Because obviously a lot of what you talked about there, you can have learned as you go through the process and you have those conversations. Can you remember what sort of captivated your attention in the first place then? It was really just doing a bit of research and especially living in London and working in tech. Like there's so much innovation happening in fintech these days. I have to admit, I'm a fan of Monzo, even though that we're talking about a different side of banking. I'd say doing a bit of research on my own and getting excited and thinking about, okay, like how would I apply some of the principles of what I've learned to this particular industry? And I think anytime that the wheels start turning and you get excited, it's probably a good sign. It was just the more that I got to know about the company, the more I got to know the team, and the more that I got to really see the ambition behind what we're building, I just got to the point where I was like, I can't say no to this. The other thing which was really attractive to me was they put a really big emphasis on culture. You know, a lot of companies, what that means is happy hours and a foosball table. But where Griffin, it's really about building a team that respects each other, that really sets out to deliver psychological safety in meetings, that puts a lot of emphasis on clear communication you could just feel that it was a lot more authentic. And all of that has been really validated from my experience being there so far. Yeah, well, I ran a poll recently about what actually attracts people to accept offers. And culture came up as number one, ahead of compensation, and then also career development. Mm. But actually, it's quite interesting when I hear you talk about that, because some companies find it quite difficult to articulate their culture. And if you can't articulate your culture, it's very difficult for people to sort of buy into what you're doing as a business and also, you know, why they should join. Talk about domain experience. So we'll talk to some companies and they'll say, okay, well, we want to hire somebody from FinTech. We want to hire somebody from SaaS. We want to hire somebody from their particular domain. Now, obviously, you hadn't worked in the area that Griffin sort of operates in. How important do you think domain experience is for marketers then? My personal view on this is that it's not that important. And not to say that there's not certain roles that it is important or that it's not extremely helpful, especially in those first three to six months while you're onboarding. But if you have a passion for learning and you can immerse yourself in a new industry, it's pretty easy to start building up both credibility and understanding the space 
And it allows you to take a bit of a nuanced view because you've had experience outside that industry. I would hire someone who is clearly a great marketer and thinks from the perspective of the customer over someone who maybe is lacking in some of those skills, but knows the industry inside and out. It's going to be different for every company, but I'm a firm believer that you can learn any industry. The skill set that it takes to be a good marketer in different aspects of marketing or each department. You know, having domain knowledge is really helpful, but having a passion for learning and the ability to immerse yourself, learn, and really gain exposure to a new industry and being open to that will always win. Well, I'll be sending that to clients. <laughs> <laughs> and in that same vein, then, you've obviously gone from a scale-up and a bigger organization at Adaptivist. What sort of struck you as the biggest difference then going back into a startup then? Because I think sometimes there are preconceptions of what it's like from a marketing perspective. Did those sort of live up to what it was like in reality? Yeah, this is probably my third role where I've, even if there was a larger marketing department, kind of been there on the ground, whether that's starting marketing or for that particular team. At Griffin, one of the things that I've generally thought about is just how much I appreciated having such an incredible team. Hmm. When you have to do everything yourself, you remember how great it was to have team members that this was their specialty and how much they brought to the table. We talked a little bit about prioritization previously, but when you are a team of one and scaling up, you have to prioritize on an insane level. You know, one of the best pieces of advice I've gotten is understanding the difference between urgent and important. What is going to be best for the company today? And also having patience. You know, there's been times where, you know, I think that I'm really understanding some of the nuances of the technology or the industry. And then a day later, realize that I'd gotten completely wrong. And, you know, being able to go back and say like, okay, adjusting and evolving and growing as you're learning the industry and as you're building the function is really important. You can't have an ego, basically. <laughs> You've got to be happy saying, look, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we talked a bit about imposter syndrome. It's mm. not something that goes away. I think that if you're really taking on roles that push yourself in new ways and learning different industries and even hiring teams or hiring people that know more about a topic than you, you have to have that bit of imposter syndrome or you're probably in the wrong role. Yeah. And how do you sort of stay up to date on everything that is B2B marketing related? We live in such a noisy world these days, don't we, in terms of new tactics, new plays, new tech and all that sort of stuff. You're obviously very busy within a startup anyway. How do you sort of stay abreast of everything that's sort of developing? If I'm on my lunch break, watch a webinar on audience segmentation. Well, I sound like the most boring lunch day ever, but <laughs> listening to podcasts like Market Mentors and what other people are doing in the industry. You have to find what works for you, but I find there's a couple publications that I pay attention to and also growing your network. Been really fortunate that a lot of folks that I've worked with in the past have gone on to do some really cool and innovative things and work at different companies and try to keep in touch. I know that especially with the pandemic, that can be quite hard, but growing your own network is a really important part of staying in touch with what's going on in the broader industry, in the broader field. Great stuff. And lastly, if people want to reach out to you and maybe just ask a question about their career or anything like that, what's the best way of them getting in touch with you? I'd say reach out on LinkedIn. You'd be surprised, especially at the beginning of your career, when you're just trying to gain information and insight. 
most people are more than happy to chat. And, you know, if they can't because of their busy schedule, it's nothing personal, but reaching out and asking questions and just letting people know that you found something maybe they wrote on LinkedIn really interesting, you know, their company did something and you want to chat about how they approached it and what they can learn. So yeah, everyone is welcome to reach out to me and I will try to live up to some of the values that I've talked about today. Great stuff. Well, I've loved listening and talking to you about your career, particularly the fact that you've worked in so many different types of organizations, different sizes, different domains, different roles. To me, that always makes a marketeer a more rounded marketer. And it's encouraging to hear the fact that you can move around those different areas and still move forward, which is fantastic to hear. So thank you very much for sharing your experience, Laura. Well, thank you, Matt. I really appreciate you having me on today. Pleasure. So that's it for another episode of the Market Mentors podcast. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, then please leave a review as that helps the channel going forward. Until next time.